0: Tunic is an isometric action-adventure game heavily inspired by The Legend of Zelda with a bit of Fez and Dark Souls thrown in because that's what the kids are into these days. You play as a small fox exploring a big map, unlocking items and abilities, while uncovering the great mysteries of the world. What really sets Tunic apart from other games is its narrative approach. Rather than laying out the story through dialogue or cutscenes, Tunic tells its story through a comprehensive in-game manual which the player collects pages from as they explore. Is this a story to write home about, or will it be thrown out like the manuals of a million games before it? Welcome to the Totally Biased Media Podcast, the show where some subset of three brothers talk about video games. My name is Jason Simmons, and I'm joined by my co-host,
1: I'm Jordan Walkup.
0: Now, let's dive in to Tunic.
1: So Tunic, this is one of those games that I wanted to do an episode about because I didn't want to be caught in a compromising position like we were with Death Store last year. We didn't pay it any mind because it was like, seemed like a pretty straightforward indie game. And then I actually played it a while after it came out, was really blown away by it and was like, dang, this is big. And then it was suddenly on all these different websites, like Game of the Year list, and it actually won a couple of Game of the Year awards, which is kind of wild. And this game, it gave me some heavy, heavy Death's Door vibes. <laughs> uh, now, I think I was a little bit more enthusiastic going into this one than you were, Jason. So why don't you kick us off a little bit? Like, how were you feeling about it overall?
0: <laughs> I honestly hadn't done too much research into it before we started playing or anything like that i hadn't really heard too many people talk about it other than you know maybe the odd mention here and there on random podcasts yeah (laughs) Um, yeah but i mean when you pointed me towards it like i saw it it looked really interesting and i played it and i enjoyed it
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's not too too
0: much to say about it or too much to say about that you know it's not like my life can be divided into two points pre-tunic and post-tunic (laughs)
1: this is the game that changed it all (laughs) no but but like it's weird because indie games like this are overlooked for a lot of different reasons of course this one was almost certainly because of just when it happened to be released it came out in march after you know the last week of february we had three of the big what will definitely be three of the biggest games of the year that were directly before it. Most people were still deep in Elden Ring. So it really got passed over. But I've actually seen some sort of rumblings online that people are just now getting back and checking out this game, which is which is reassuring because I think it actually has a lot of really cool things to show. I don't know it's necessarily a game of the Year contender, like Death Store was, but like this was actually like a really cool experience, and we'll certainly get into the good, the bad, and the ugly as we go. But I I was really impressed with it. Just like from a concept, I was really impressed with it pretty much right from the get-go.
0: Yeah, and I I would say part of the reason it probably you didn't get a lot of rumblings about it when it first came out is just because it starts out pretty simply. For sure. Um, It it doesn't really seem like it's gonna be anything too big or unique until you're already like quite a ways into it.
1: Yeah, it's it, it has a really cool premise. But I'll admit, it's pretty bogged down by some weaker mechanics starting off. And at first, it really does present itself as if it's going to be on an incredibly small scale. And it's not. (laughs) It just takes a long time to get there.
0: Yeah, it's definitely like a big scale story. Like It's really interesting. And the mechanics even, I would say, some of them at least, get pretty deep. Combat never really evolves too too far past the beginning but you know as you go you unlock new weapons new abilities that they definitely change like what you can do and how you're going to play giving you more options for especially smaller enemies i didn't feel like there was too too much that gave you options for larger enemies
1: nah they all kind of had one fixed way to deal with them a lot of the time yeah but But let's step back a little bit and sort of set up what tunic is because you got into it in the intro, but Basically, it's this very cut-and-dry game in the beginning. Uh, Fox wakes up on a beach. You have no narrative explanation for what that is. You don't have any type of specific goal. But you really only have one path, and you sort of follow it. And that leads you to a stick. (laughs) And with that stick, you can now you know fight some really weak enemies. And once you fight them, that leads you down another path. And eventually, you get a sword. And it starts where it's like unraveling itself in this very Zelda way where it's just like do a short dungeon, get a weapon that helps you navigate a bigger dungeon, move move on from there. But what's really interesting about this game is the way it presents itself is so off the wall sometimes. You you mentioned it in the intro, there's this manual and Everything about the game, it's, it's plot from start to finish, how everything works. Every single item in the entire game is in this manual. And it's a manual just like you would see in an, any old video game. But you only start off with... Well, actually, I don't think you start off with anything. <laughs> but you only get, like, one page in the first 20 or 30 minutes. And it's all in a crazy made-up language. <laughs> yeah. And,
0: there are a few things yeah. like... Um some of the button prompts, I think, contextual, but for the most part, like, it just gives you a whole bunch of gibberish written in runes that I don't even think you get a key to decipher the runes until one of the last pages that you unlock in the game. (laughs) Right. So it's literally gibberish for 99% of the game.
1: Yeah. And I would say for any given page you unlock only probably 20% of it is even decipherable with, like, context clues. Like, some of them are just straightforward maps and stuff, but for the most part, it'll be, like, 20 different things on a page, and only one of them is anything relevant to anything you've seen so far. And even then, it might not actually tell you how to use it, but...
0: Yeah, a lot of the hints are, are less about what the manual actually says and more about, like, deciphering the small drawings or it's kind of supposed to look even like the manual had a previous owner. (laughs) Right. Like there's some kid or something in the 90s had just drawn all over the manual already to kind of explain some of the things that they had taken away from it.
1: Yeah, but it's, it's interesting, though, because there are a lot of games that sort of work really hard not to lay information out for you, but I've never seen one that does it so, like... I guess playfully is a good word like there's a there's a lot of mystery here but the game doesn't expect you to take it super seriously at least not at first like this is a cutesy game with you know bright colorful enemies and the fact that occasionally you see something kind of unsettling mixed in doesn't necessarily come to the forefront for for quite a while like it wants you to unravel this this mystery of you know why you're here and what's going on and what's up with this manual but it wants you to do it in a just sort of fun way like not in a you have to piece together these eight different things to solve this puzzle just to progress it's like if you look in the margins of this part there's a fun little note about throwing bombs a lot or something like that like it's just it's just meant to be like a fun way to engage with the world that I haven't seen anywhere else. It does a really good job of sort of lifting up that previous era of games. Like we played Metal Gear Solid on the, for the last episode. And there's a point in that game where you have to refer to the manual to know how to contact a certain character. And like it's it's sort of a nod to that point in video game history where manuals were essential. <laughs> And, well, it's like, you know, even if
0: you just look at... It, I mean, you can tell this game's biggest inspiration is The Legend of Zelda. For uh, sure. Especially the first sure. one. Where, like, if you don't have the manual for Legend of Zelda, it is indecipherable.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. It,
0: that game makes no sense in the beginning. It yeah. just throws you in the middle of nowhere with no weapons <laughs> or anything. And it's just like, all right, have right.
1: fun. Now, this game is sort of linear enough and i think that generally speaking it points you towards your next objective enough so that you would never really like have to dig into the manual yeah but i definitely found the further i got in the game the more often i was going back to check it not just to know where to go or how things worked but to figure out like there's a whole layer to this game that's not explained to you in the slightest through just the regular visual cues and the story progression, like, it's stuff you only find in the manual, and I wanted to make sure I found that stuff, and I missed most of it, even after playing, like, I want to think I have, like, 13 hours in this game now.
0: It's kind of interesting, because, I mean, like we mentioned, the game just throws you in the deep end at the beginning, and until you find that first manual page, you really don't have anything to do. There's only really one way you can go at that point. Right, right. But like the manual there's page, nothing pushing basically you. it lays out all the areas you need to go to to get to your first objective in like a checklist almost and then your second objective yeah. it's just like okay go do okay you know what your endpoint was for this first objective it's the same thing but on the other side of the map have fun. <laughs>
1: right it tells you you need three things but it doesn't necessarily tell you what they are how you interact with them or where to find them <laughs> like it's it's really interesting because because once you have the completed manual it's all there and it all makes sense and this game the manual pretty much explicitly tells you where to go to do everything but until you get to that point you're always missing something and that always forces you to explore in a way that i have not in a lot of other games
0: yeah, and another thing I really like is that it does a good job about kind of hiding puzzles in the world and you have no idea that those puzzles are even there until you get a manual right. page that's just like, "Hey, you know all those times we've mentioned the holy cross and had weird drawings? That's the D-pad."
1: That was one of the that was one of the most confusing and like exciting things for me when I finally figured it out because you found so many of these doors and there didn't seem to be any way to interact with them. And I kept thinking, like, well, eventually I'll get some power. They're metal doors. Like, maybe I'll get a magnet or something that'll open it. Or, like, there's a certain type of switch I just can't interact with yet. But, no, it turns out you could have been opening them the whole time. You just needed a certain code that you had to input on the D-pad that you would have never known unless you found the corresponding page of the manual.
0: Well, it's not even that you need the code. The code is on the door.
1: Oh, you're right I never even like I never even like truly pieced together that's what I was looking at <laughs> uh, that's good I think we both have some grapes with it that we're gonna get into but I will say like from a design standpoint this is an incredibly smart game for this to be developed by one guy like he put a lot of love into basically every facet of this game
0: it's definitely really good and really deep very unique in that way I guess I haven't seen too yeah. many games that have really in my opinion effectively put together the like that isometric action game thing like what legend of zelda does and having puzzles that are actually satisfying to solve yeah because early legend of zelda games like i i get that they're influential i think it's really dumb that sometimes there are no clues to something it's just like oh you needed to burn down that tree there was no signs yeah. telling you that that tree was the one you needed to burn down
1: And you randomly couldn't burn any other tree, so... But but it was interesting, though, because I think a lot of games, especially in that style and in that era into the next era of consoles, like getting into, like, the Super Nintendo era, they went from the puzzles were so abstract and basically had no visual cues to them being not always easy, but obvious. Like, they went from having to do really benign things like burn down a certain tree or push a certain rock to, oh, this door has three locks on it and there are three switches and there's a line pointing to each switch. Like it went like from really abstract to totally succinct and tells you exactly what the solution is. Even if they still have to struggle to do it, it tells you what the solution is. Where this game fits in a really interesting middle ground where things are never explicit but they're also not just counting on you to come up with a solution that's totally out of nowhere.
0: I would almost more would put it between uh, those early like Legend of Zelda-like games where it is just burn down a certain tree, explode a certain part of the wall that you have no way of telling apart. And more like 90s adventure games where the solution is you just need to think like the designer did. And the right. designer's a freak.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, the one small gripe I have with sort of the quote unquote puzzles of this game is that sometimes the solution to the puzzle is just there's a blind corner and you can go around something that it doesn't look like you should be able to. Or you can walk between two objects that don't look like there's enough space for you to go between, which I'm cool with there being some of that like, third-person perspective stuff that over that complicates the puzzles, but I do think this game relies on it a little too much, and sometimes that stuff isn't telegraphed the best. Sometimes you just have to get, you know, basically basically I found myself walking around, like, every tree and every rock and stuff just to see if, like, the camera would shift or something to show me more, and that's fine sometimes, but it definitely, like, padded out the game in a kind of unnecessary way.
0: Yeah, I think the real way that you could tell if somebody ever managed to find the, uh... If, if they were searching all of the corners and they found all the secrets is if they ever found the customization room.
1: I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> in a random
0: corner in a random building. And if you go in there, you can change the color of your your clothes and your fox. I, th- I think it's just you can change, like, both of the tones of your fox and the color of their clothes.
1: That's crazy. I had no idea that was a thing. <laughs>
0: Uh, you gotta get get better about searching around
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i guess so (laughs) but like that's a cool thing to include but to not just throw out there
0: i don't even think that's on the manual it's it's just like
1: (laughs) i don't i never noticed it if it was this game has a lot of things like that that feel like they're hidden so you don't think they're gonna be as significant as they are and then they end up being really important there is a spell you can get in this game that was 100% optional that I feel like a ton of people miss because I wandered into it totally by accident. And. It wasn't something that looked like you could go to. It looked like it was blocked off in some way. And I just, like, happened to wander too close to it. And then the camera shifted. And I feel like there's stuff like that that probably just a ton of people missed. But let's not say it's a bad thing. Like, you still can get a ton out of this game, even if you don't find it all.
0: Yeah, and I I would say, for the most part, there's nothing hidden in the game that isn't... Well, other than that customization room. And maybe, I mean, obviously, I didn't search every corner perfectly. (laughs) So there could be some other stuff. Everything important that it feels like I ran into was at least in some way shown in the manual. It would right. be like, it would be in red crayon, right? <laughs> it wouldn't be like an official part of the manual. But like, it was still, there was still at least some kind of hint. And it felt really satisfying to actually kind of go through and explore and find all of the, the secret treasures and stuff like that. Although, I do have to get into kind of a small gripe that I have with the game is that all the puzzles are you know, either in the world in an obvious way once you figure it out, or in the manual. Um, some of the puzzles are incredibly tedious. Um, there's Like one, multi-step, yeah. like having
1: to take notes. <laughs> like, there, it's hardcore. There's one
0: puzzle called, like, I think it's the golden path or something like that, where you get a page in the manual and it shows a big grid, like four by five, and each grid on it points to a different room. or uh, Sorry, not a different room. A different page in the manual. And there's like a small marking somewhere on there that shows you part of the path. And you have to combine them all together. And some of that requires like rotating and stuff like that. I, I don't know. It felt a little bit tedious at that point. Where like I knew how to solve the puzzle. But the game didn't have like any kind of good way for me to of mark it down in-game. So I just ended up kind of looking up a guide for that part because uh right. it's a really long code too.
1: It's really ironic because uh, there was sort of some quote-unquote controversy around Elden Ring after uh, Jason Schreier tweeted about how he felt like he needed to have a journal on hand while he was playing the game. Mm-hmm. And that started a whole conversation around like well, that's just bad design if you needed a journal. And then other people played it like, I didn't need a journal. Uh, He's just exaggerating. I think this game, (laughs) if I really wanted to 100% it, which I don't think I will, I will go back, but I don't think I'm going to 100% it. But I think if I were going to, I would almost have to have some kind of like handwritten notes to go with the game. Because not only is this game way bigger than you would expect, there is also so many layers to so many of the (laughs) concepts in this game. It's, it's hardcore. (laughs) Yeah,
0: something I think is kind of interesting is that it doesn't necessarily lay things out for you at all sometimes. Like the fast travel system in the game, I don't really feel <laughs> you're ever actually told like what to do or how to access it.
1: No, and it's one of those things where I wouldn't have found it until super late in the game. If I wasn't just experimenting with the new power I had figured out. <laughs> like, and it's incredibly useful. I mean, it's actually mandatory later in the game. So, fast travel is uh, one of those things that seems a little bit odd to bury quite as much as they did.
0: It's another one of those things that's really hidden out in plain sight. I, I don't know. It's in a weird middle ground of, I feel like it maybe right. should have been explained, but also... The golden pedestals that you need to stand on are not hard to find.
1: <laughs> right. It's one of those things where where they are and what they are is obvious, but how you use them is just a little bit more complicated than you would expect. Mm-hmm. So, so there's, there's a lot to learn there. Um, it does something similar with the way you upgrade your character. Because you keep finding these items that when you look in your inventory, they're like separated, but they don't tell you why. Like they're in their own sort of group, but it doesn't tell you what that group is or why they're not with the rest of your items. And the way you use them is not something you would figure out on your own unless you were just ridiculously observant and happened to press the right button at the right time. (laughs) But the solution's actually very simple.
0: <laughs> it sounded like you found that on your own. I didn't find it until I got the manual page, and it was a real game changer.
1: <laughs> I didn't find it till I got the manual page, but I already had several of the items, and I was just like, okay, well, this has to be something. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I mean, it's not bad. Like, it's not a negative at all. It's just one of those things where there are certainly going to be people that are going to bounce off of concepts like that immediately. But generally speaking, the further I got into this game, the more that learning about it in that way hooked me yeah. and the more interested I was in finding more.
0: But it's not just game mechanics that are in the manual. Uh, you know, something we kind of mentioned a little bit earlier, it's just like the actual story for the game itself is in there, uh, right? <laughs> especially relatively close to the end. An exposition dump like you'd see in something like, uh, well, all the Metal Gear Solid games end in like an hour long cutscene. <laughs> It's almost like that of you just finding manual page after manual page that's just like laying out the story that's surprisingly pretty dark. Yeah. And then, like, the last area that you really explore is really weirdly dark. Like,
1: this sort of has what I've been referring to as the Kirby effect going on. Yeah. Where it starts off very cute and happy and upbeat, but the more you actually learn about the world and the conflict, the more, like, screwed up you realize the world is you know it's kind of funny
0: i think the story is fairly similar to death stranding of like oops someone unlocked the door to purgatory (laughs) and now (laughs) everyone's paying the price for it especially the person that opened it
1: this game definitely has a a big emphasis on the afterlife and not in nearly as positive of a light (laughs) as a lot of other things like to show the afterlife (laughs) It's not positive. <laughs> Everything about this game and the way you learn about it is just it's fascinating. It's not to say it's always conducive to a good fun video game, but I definitely wanted to learn more and I wanted to better understand the developer's mindset behind some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And even though I think probably the next thing we're gonna talk about is probably the big the game's biggest shortcoming for me, but I think that generally speaking, I wanted to get more out of this game pretty much the entire way through
0: let me guess what you think the next thing we're going to talk about is because i was thinking of the bosses
1: <laughs> well i was just thinking combat in general <laughs> yeah. uh... it's
0: definitely a very simple combat system I-, I think it works for the most part when you're just fighting small enemies i i feel like the bosses are well some of them are a little bit more tedious than others.
1: See, I had a, I had sort of the opposite perspective, I guess you could say. I thought that the bosses were fairly strong, like good combat, but a lot of just the minute to minute exploration combat was rough. So this is this is definitely going for a similar vibe to the Dark Souls games, where you start off ridiculously weak. I mean, you are swinging a stick at some slimes, and even then it is quite easy to get overwhelmed just fighting the weakest enemies in the game. And as you progress, you find better weapons and spells and you improve your stats and you get to where you can handle bigger and bigger enemies. The problem for me is that the entire way through, you're relying on this same three hit combo that doesn't cover a lot of area. You're the actual attack, I can't even think of what the hitbox, I guess you could say doesn't last very long. And the dodge rolling feels a little flighty. Like it's, it goes too far and goes through stuff and it just, it never felt good to me. It was fine. And that's not the focus of the game. So it didn't like totally sink it or anything, but I didn't really enjoy the combat, at least in terms of just running around the map.
0: I thought it was all right. It was definitely a little boring. Especially with, I mean, like you mentioned, it's it's basically just the one three hit combo. It, it didn't feel like, I, I think I kind of mentioned this earlier, like you get new tools and you unlock new ways to fight, but those almost always use mana and right. the mana doesn't regenerate on its own. Like you either have to use items or you have to rest at a bonfire or whatever, a shrine, I guess, in this game. <laughs> yeah. And... If you if you don't do that, you're gonna run out really quickly. Especially of I think the the better it is at crowd control, the less you're gonna be able to use it. Like right. you, you get a gun fairly right. late into the game, which sounds weird. Uh, it's like a, a scatter gun, more so than a pistol. <laughs> but uh like it'll take out enemies in a in a large area, but, but you can only fire it like two or three times.
1: Yeah, even with like MP that I had leveled up a couple of times. I could still only use it three times per charge. And it didn't do enough damage for three uses to be enough, in my opinion.
0: I felt like it was really good against bosses, but it was kind of useless outside of them.
1: Now, you said you weren't as impressed with the bosses. I think when I say that I like the bosses, admittedly, that's more in concept and in aesthetic than it is in the actual mechanics to fighting them.
0: I, I mean, I think some of the bosses are fine. There are there are two that I would say are really good, which are the, the final boss and then one of the bosses uh, that you encounter in the second act when you're collecting the uh, hexagons. Whatever they are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but there are, I would say, the second boss and the most likely the third boss, I would assume, which are both like robots essentially i didn't like them i thought they were really annoying
1: yeah the bosses do sort of fall into one of two categories there are sort of fox slash human type things there
0: are wizards and robots
1: right there are wizards and robots that's a great way to put it i do think that the wizards were the stronger of the fights but the robots looked really cool
0: issue that i had especially with the the second robot you fight which is huge i, yeah, I just massive, felt like, like picks up the whole screen yeah it's air it's attacks covered too like wide of an area and you had to stay like right on top of it but it it honestly didn't really have any idea what to do if you were right on top of it yeah and it was like yeah. stuttering around a lot basically it just wasn't very satisfying, but, like, I don't know how else you are supposed to fight it.
1: I do feel like a weakness that bosses have is, at least the ones I can think of off the top of my head, most of them had a solution that, well, it wasn't a solution just as in there was a right way to fight it that was easier, as much as there was something you could do that would do some combination of, like, stun locking them, Or keeping them in a specific area where they couldn't do certain attacks or something. Like, there was always something you could do that would sort of break the bosses down mechanically. And that doesn't feel like the right way to deal with them. Mm -hmm. But admittedly, there were some tough ones. That's what I did with a few of them. Like, to get past that first big, or the second big robot, my solution was just to attack it so aggressively that it couldn't get off its own attacks. And that doesn't feel like how I was supposed to do it, Mm -hmm. but you know.
0: I also feel like the combat gets a million times better at the end when you unlock a better dodge roll.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. That was a game changer. You do get it way too late though. Yeah.
0: Well it's it's even better than just I really like when you unlock new abilities that have multiple uses. <laughs> and using the the dash that you get is significantly better than dodge rolling or even running. It's just it speeds up getting around the map so much. And it unlocks new areas to explore.
1: I think that was another, another thing that sort of... I get why they do it the way they do. Like, they want the game to sort of stay linear until you're real far in. Mm-hmm. But I do think some of the most important traversal abilities are locked until a little bit too late in the game. Like, there's a grappling hook, which is essential for getting around. But you don't get it until probably 60% of the way through. And then you don't get the good dash, which lets you cover, like, gaps in the map until probably 90 percent of the way through overall though i've had negative things to say about the combat but i don't think it gets in the way of the game i think that it's it's rough around the edges but overall that's not what this game is about and it doesn't hurt the game too drastically in its overall delivery just because sometimes it's boring or tedious
0: well something i've kind of noticed with a lot of these i guess souls like indie games Tunic's not exactly, uh, it's not exactly unique in being, like, a cute Souls-like game.
1: No, no. And those,
0: no. it kind of seems like they always have really kind of simple combat.
1: For sure. And I think that Death's Door was a good example of that, of, it wasn't Souls-like in its progression or its style, but it was, it did have that sort of, uh can't think of what the word is the maps that like loop in on themselves Mm -hmm. what's that called
0: uh recursive map design
1: yes it had those like recursive maps that are sort of one of the key features of from software games at this point um and it it did a lot of the same things that tunic does and while i think tunic does a better job with some of the narrative stuff i think death door blew it out of the water in terms of combat that was death door's strong suit so (laughs) you know I got a little off track with that, but
0: <laughs> that said, I, it's a good-looking game, and I, I do feel like all of the enemies and items are e- you know easily identifiable, and they actually like look, they have fun designs to them. Especially some of the enemies. There, <laughs> I think my favorite enemy has to be one of the ones you encounter in the graveyard, where it's basically just a really tall guy in a cloak, and then he pulls out a gun and shoots you.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I don't know why, but that one sticks out to me a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think everything in the game is supposed to be or like, at least all of the humanoid things in the game are foxes for the most part, right?
1: Right. There are like there are other species which are clearly like more advanced than just animals and stuff. Like you have some lizards and some frogs and and all that, but foxes are clearly like the dominant species, I guess you could say like the most human of the species. I you know, what? I right. do think the frog
0: designs were all pretty fun. Some of them were like ninjas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. um and, and the way that they all like interacted with each other was kind of fun because there was the small and fast ones uh, but they all attacked one at a time and it, it, it like even says that in the manual it's like they love waiting their turn <laughs> and if you engage <laughs> yeah. one in combat the other ones are just going to stand back and wait
1: So that's a good bit of tunic talk already. Jason, why don't you give us sort of your your final thoughts on on Mr. Uh, Andrew Schulice's game? <laughs>
0: I thought it was really good. I had a good time with it. I mean, I know, like, I feel we focused on some of more of the negatives while we were talking about it. But I feel like this is one of those games where the stuff that's good is really good. And the stuff that's bad or or not even bad so much as just kind of, like, lackluster really stands out as bringing right. the experience down a little bit. But I really enjoyed it. and It's on Game Pass, so anybody that <laughs> wants to pick it up can. Pretty easy to access these days. Uh, I've heard I've heard many <laughs> call it the best deal in gaming. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, you uh, know, I definitely enjoyed it. I'd recommend it to anybody that likes... I mean, if you like the older Legend of Zelda games, if you like any kind of adventure game with, like, light puzzle... I don't know what the word would be. Just puzzles. If you, if you like <laughs> adventure games with puzzles in them, and not like the LucasArts ones from the 90s, because that's a very different vibe.
1: <laughs> yeah. Also, that's all those games were with puzzles.
0: I would say, like, just about anybody would really enjoy this game. Anybody that played it. Unless you really like heavy dialogue. (laughs) Yeah, there
1: is literally none of that. The little bit of dialogue there is is in a made-up language.
0: If your favorite game is Heavy Rain, I would not recommend this game to you.
1: If your favorite game is Heavy Rain, I would recommend several things, including Therapist. I think, for me, this was one of those games where... I more went into it just with this idea of like, well I don't want to miss something <laughs> then, then like I actually like, okay, I'm gonna really enjoy this. And it does start a little bit slow. I think that it's not until you really learn what the game is doing with the the way the manual progresses the game. It's not until you really get into the meat of that that the game really comes alive. Mm-hmm. But I do think like it it really sets itself apart with that way of storytelling, which I have not seen anywhere else and really hooked me to go above and beyond just getting to the end credits. I have not gotten the game's true ending and I know there's actually even more endings you can get after that. So like I'm definitely going to be going back to it. But so far what I've played has has really grabbed me and I've I've really enjoyed my time with it. I think you you sort of said it best where you know there's a lot that's really great about this game and it does sort of highlight some of the things that are less great because of it. I would kind of summarize it as like this game is 90% great but that other 10% is pretty dang annoying sometimes (laughs) and if you can get past that I think it's a really great experience from start to finish. It's just there's there are some things that are going to wear on some people too much. And that wasn't the case with me, but I could I could certainly see it being that way for some. But, like Jason said, it's on Game Pass.
0: It, it picks up after the first, like, two hours or so in a pretty big way. Because I, I feel like I personally, the first three or four times I played it was only, like, 20-minute increments. And then... The time i played it after that i played for like four hours straight so i was like oh this is really good now
1: <laughs> wait it out until you get the sword and then get back to the main map that was for, for me that was when it really picked up that takes probably at least an hour and a half i would say for most folks well we got something else we want to talk about so we're gonna take a quick break and then we'll be right back with more tbm <music> So 2022 has been a real weird year for video games. It's a
0: really big year if you liked going long periods of time without a new release.
1: (laughs) Right. Because, I mean, last year we actually had a surprisingly large number of games, which I think people weren't really expecting after, you know, well, COVID is still going on, Uh And that was forcing a ton of delays left and right. And unfortunately, every game that was late in 2021 came out in February of this year. (laughs) Meaning, we had a ton to talk about at the beginning of the year, which I was not expecting in the slightest. And then as we've gotten on, the the schedule's gotten a little light. That's why we've already done an episode on a game that came out in 1998 this year. (laughs) And why now we're doing an indie game that came out two months ago. But... I mean, just in the first four slash five months of this year, we've also seen a bunch of additional delays, like Breath of the Wild 2, Redfall, Starfield, Suicide Squad, Forspoken, Mario Strikers. We're probably going to see a delay on God of War getting passed down the pipeline any day now. Like, there have been so many delays that it's really thrown our schedule to the wind, and you know we're trying to fill that with games we're passionate about, but... It's also disheartening because currently we only have six new games on our calendar for the rest of 2022, and they're not all necessarily games we will actually end up doing episodes about. So it's it's getting wild, y'all.
0: At this rate, we're going to have to add Hello Neighbor 2 to our list.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ugh. Looking
0: at October and December, uh, there are no game releases that I'm seeing for November at all. None. Looking at October and December, there are four games.
1: <laughs> it, and it's crazy because I'm used to March, April, May, whatever. I'm used to there not being a lot of new games around that time frame. That's just how it goes. The summer and then the fall are your big game sell points, which like makes total sense. I mean, you have young people getting out of school in the summer and then you have the holidays to get ready for in the fall. It's like I totally get why that's why that's where all the games are sort of saturated. But Currently, we are seeing nothing this summer. It's crazy. We really only have two games I would consider even kind of big from like now until the end of July, and that's Fire Emblem and Xenoblade. And, you know, I don't
0: want to play Xenoblade. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and we might just skip it all together because it's it's genuinely not our type of game and we would be doing it a disservice to try and review a game that's just Not for the type of gamers we are. I mean, we're both, we're both, we both at least were pretty big fans of Fire Emblem Three Houses. So we will give Three Hopes a shot, I think. But Xenoblade might not even come to fruition for us, or it might just be something we talk about in like a pulling the plug, or I talk about in a pulling the plug segment or something. So, like, we got nothing. So
0: there are are some games that, that I'd like to talk about because Live Alive comes out in July on the Switch. And I, I think the the new Digimon comes out then, too, right?
1: Somewhere around there, yeah. Yeah, it's it's just weird, though, because, like, last summer and into the fall, we had no problem finding stuff to talk about. I mean, I know part of it was we were still doing movies and stuff. We were doing episodes every week, though, so, like, clearly there was something. It's just one of those things where the solution is we're going to have to talk about some older games, which is something I'm I'm very happy to do. Like, we, we have no shortage of games to talk about, but it's not the same <laughs> as having a new game to talk about every single week.
0: I, I think we'll probably switch over to a focus of more, like, games that are really important to us. Like, we can finally do a Kingdom Hearts 2 episode.
1: R- right. And, you know, a, a big part of that is going to be switching gears instead of trying to Just cash in on, you know, the review process for new games, that lucrative, lucrative field of reviewing video games, and instead talking about what's important to us (laughs) for video games, which I think could be really cool. And I was kind of thinking we could use this time to sort of talk about, like, what types of games those would be. So... Like Jason, do you have a couple of games like right off the top of that, right off the top of your head that you definitely want to get into over these next couple of months?
0: I've always kind of worn it on my sleeve that I really like action RPGs. So, I mean, like I mentioned, I'd love to do an episode on Kingdom Hearts 2. We still have uh, Mass Effect 3 that we could get into, Morrowind, Fallout New Vegas, lots of good stuff <laughs> from yeah. all throughout the past 20 years. <laughs>
1: And realistically, they're games that I have skipped over. I think that, generally speaking, you and I, really all three of us that host this podcast whenever Jackson is around, uh, we sort of fall in the same direction on a lot of the games we've talked about. I mean, generally speaking, if one of us likes a game, the other two at least thought it was okay. But you and I actually have very distinct taste in video games. Like the stuff we play outside of this podcast, there is very little overlap (laughs) Like, I have touched on very few Bethesda games in my life. <laughs> and uh, that's sort of thrown major, major games like Morrowind and uh, Fallout New Vegas to <laughs> the wayside. And those are games that, if I'm not going to play them naturally, making myself play them for the podcast is probably the best way.
0: <laughs> I, I think that there's like a lot of stuff that you've probably missed out on uh, just because, like, when they originally released, you were. Like maybe too young, or yeah, too young for some of them, or yeah, maybe even too old for some of them, and you just kind of lost interest. I, there's a lot of good stuff that's come out in the last twenty years that I, I don't think either of us have even played
1: for sure. I mean, for like
0: sure. we, I just started playing the Metal Gear Solid games,
1: and and part of it is that you just have a penchant for older games that I don't traditionally have. Like I get my biggest thing in video games is always the gameplay, like pretty much regardless of anything else about the game whereas games like Morrowind and New Vegas don't necessarily have the quote-unquote best gameplay but they have really interesting stories to tell and I've just gotta I've gotta kick myself into gear to learn to learn how to appreciate those things more because the type of games that I want to talk about are not story heavy (laughs) like I want to. I really want to talk about the Paper Mario series, specifically like the first two games in the series, and Sonic Adventure Two, which I think is the only truly great Sonic game. <laughs> and uh, it's so
0: weird because apparently Sonic Adventure Two is a very divisive game in the series. It is the only 3D Sonic game that I have ever actually enjoyed.
1: Which, for me, actually, I think I there there are definitely still very bad ones. But I think I actually prefer the 3D Sonic games to the 2D ones. I have a very clear and concise reason for that we will get into in a future episode, either when we talk about uh, Sonic Adventure 2 or the new Sonic Frontiers game, whenever it comes out and inevitably is a tremendous failure.
0: (laughs) We could talk about, I think Sonic Origins comes out next year or next month even.
1: There There is potential there for us to get into a lot of things. They will just be smaller in scale. Than what we have previously talked about. But part of the reason that I wanted to have this conversation on mic was because I wanted to extend an offer to our many, many, many listeners out there. If you. Hordes of listeners, legions of fans. More people than I could ever comprehend. I wanted to ask all of you. What are your suggestions for what we talk about over the next few months? Because the game developers have all turned on us. So we gotta have something. Are there specific games or concepts or genres or anything that you would like to hear us get into more? Please, please tell us. We need guidance. We are children. We are but children. Okay. Well, we've talked tunic. We've talked 2022. Now, I think all that's left is to pull the plug. Jason, what's something else that you've been into?
0: Went see the new Doctor Strange movie.
1: Oh, yeah. Didn't even cross my mind to something to talk about, actually. (laughs) Real testament to its power.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it was something. Uh, (laughs) Was it a good movie? No, not really. Was it a fun movie? Yeah, I would say so.
1: It sits comfortably in the top half of the bottom half of all Marvel movies. <laughs> I uh,
0: I felt the I felt really similarly about this movie as I did when Solo, a Star Wars story, came out. Where I was just like, "Wow, that is exactly what I would have pictured a blank franchise movie by blank director to look like."
1: <laughs> in this yeah.
0: case, it was MCU movie by Sam Raimi.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird. I mean, not in the way you would expect either. Like the multiverse stuff isn't as weird as you would expect. The way the characters act is even weirder, though. And it's, I feel like
0: Doctor Strange acted pretty normally.
1: Uh, yeah. <laughs> Everyone around them had some stuff going on, though. Yeah. I I think it did some very cool things, but I think it did some very bad things and some very boring things mixed in. It was a real jumble. It's also a hard movie to talk about because even its central conflict is a tremendous spoiler.
0: I guess you could say the multiverse of madness was the friends we made along the way.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you got it. Uh,
0: no. I mean, the like cam- the cameos we saw along the way. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's exactly what it was. <laughs> it's it's fine. I mean, if you really love the Marvel universe, you're gonna like it. But you know, it's it's just fine.
0: <laughs> no, there's really not too much to say about it. It's no Spider-Man, No Way Home. It felt like it was aiming for that same kind of fan service, but
1: with way less interesting characters. Yeah. 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 It wanted that same level of fan service without giving us any of the pieces that made that good fan service. Again, it's not all bad. I think it has some genuinely great moments in it. It's just overall it's just it's fine. So,
0: Well, how about you? What have you been up to?
1: Well, for about a month and a half, Elden Ring really took over my life. And I decided to sort of take that momentum. I beat I beat the game twice over with two very different builds and I still wanted more. But I figured rather than to keep hitting my head against the game, I would see if my love for this game had changed my perspective on any of the other from software games. So I've been sort of digging back through their back catalog. And I specifically want to talk about a game that many people consider be one of the best games ever made. It's on multiple, like, top 100, top 20, top 50 games of all time. So it's not going to come as a surprise to anyone when I say that uh, this is a good game. But Bloodborne is a very good game, y'all. <laughs> you should play it. <laughs> it's it's a game that I gave a honest shot to back when it first came out, or not too long after. I think I played several hours of it. I beat, like, the first three bosses. I got sort of a feel for the world and and the lore and everything. And while I really liked a lot of what I experienced, something about it just stopped it from ever clicking with me. And I think now looking back, it was more from software's reputation than it was anything about the game. Because I was struggling so much with just the early game bosses that I think there was just a sense of dread of like, well, what happens when I get to the actually tough ones? And it kind of kept me from ever, like, really getting my getting a good grip on the game. But last week, maybe a week and a half ago, I started it over, decided to sort of go in with the same intentions that I had with my second playthrough of Elden Ring. And it did take me a little bit to click with it. Like, it took me an hour or two to, like, you know, re- re-familiarize myself with the world and how... The weapons worked, and because there's there's a lot more complex mechanics in Bloodborne than there is Elden Ring, but once it like clicked with me, it like really quick clicked with me. Like I flew through this game, I beat the entire thing in j- just over a week, and I was putting in hours a day. Like it's so good from a aesthetic standpoint, a design standpoint, a lore standpoint, everything about it's just. Fantastic. And that's before you even get into the combat, which I think is some of the best in any game ever.
0: Yeah. I would definitely say that the from software reputation is probably the biggest thing turning people away from the games.
1: Right. And it's also tough because they always have this reputation of being difficult, but they're all they're all a lot more than just that. And it's interesting that their three most recent releases have been Elden Ring, Sekiro, and Bloodborne. Because they really run the gamut of what action RPGs can be. Because, you know, Elden Ring is this massive, sprawling game. There are a thousand bosses, and you can fight them all a thousand different ways. And Sekiro, which is still probably my favorite from software game, has a very fixed way of doing things. You have one weapon... You have no stats you can really control. There is a right way to handle just about every situation in the game. And then Bloodborne sort of fits nicely in the middle. Like, there are unique weapon types and there are stats, but there's way less to it than Elden Ring. Like, at the end of the day, this is still a skill-based game. This is not a game you can you know, just write out the stats and fight the bosses in the right order with the right weapons or whatever Like you can in Elden Ring to sort of ease yourself into it. Like, this is still a very difficult game that's going to require fast reflexes and a really good understanding of the mechanics to get down. But once you get those mechanics down, it just it feels fantastic from start to finish. The, the two biggest selling points for Bloodborne for me are very minute mechanics that, one... Every weapon in the game has two forms. So every weapon basically has a short-range faster version and then a longer-range slower version. And you can switch between them on the fly. And you can even switch between them mid-combo, which means you can set up some really cool stuff by alternating light and heavy attacks and switching weapon type on the fly, which adds a ton of variety to the combat. But another really key thing is that Most From Software games value patience and observation. You do the best when you go in with a very specific strategy, know what you're getting yourself into and how to deal with everything. Bloodborne has a mechanic where if you take damage, you have about a second window to start damaging the enemy back and you restore that health. So it lets you play so much more aggressively than any other From Software game does. Because you can really sustain yourself just by getting continuous hits. You even have a chance of, you can run up, start charging a really slow heavy attack, knowing you're going to take damage. But as long as you hit them back with the attack, you're going to get most of that health back. Which lets you play a lot more haphazardly than you can with other games in the series. And I really think just like those two mechanical changes, elevate it so far above the minute-to-minute combat of Elden Ring. So, like, these guys, I mean, I think they're one of the best game developers out there, but they it's not just a perfect formula. Like, Elden Ring, Sekiro, and Bloodborne are three totally different games, but they all achieve exactly what they're trying to do so masterfully. Like, they've, they've become one of my favorite developers, even though I didn't give any of their games a ton of my time until this year. <laughs> or, well, last year with Sekiro. So, just... Bloodborne is a very good game, y'all. <laughs> if you have a PS5, it is included in the PlayStation Plus collection, so you can play it for free. So, you know, check that out.
0: <laughs> it's pretty good. I've played a little bit of it. I have. I definitely haven't beaten it or anything like that. I remember getting it when it first went free on PlayStation Plus, like, a couple years ago now. I still haven't even beaten uh, Elden Ring. I haven't dove... Too deeply into the From Software catalog yet.
1: Elden Ring was really interesting for me because my first time through it was very long and, and tedious, honestly. Like it took me about 75 hours to get to the end credits. And then I put another probably 10 hours or so into that save, just exploring more of the world, looking for things I missed. My second playthrough. <laughs> Uh, So my first playthrough, I went like a very diverse build. I had good melee, you know, melee capabilities. I had good range capabilities. I was wearing armor that sort of suited me for any situation. Uh, My second time through, I was like, I want to scrap all that and hit some guys with a big old sword. (laughs) So I went a full strength, basically no other stat build. Got the biggest sword I could find as early in the game as I could get it. And then just rushed everything, and it went so much easier. <laughs> like I beat the game in its entirety in less than twelve hours, where it took me seventy five the first time around. <laughs> like it's it's wild how much diversity there is to how you play Elden Ring and, and to what you get out of it. I mean, we're still early in twenty twenty two, of course, but I have I I couldn't even fathom another game coming out this year topping it for game of the year, honestly.
0: You're going to eat your words when uh, um, Outriders World Slayer comes out.
1: <laughs> yeah. that You're the second person that was like, and I was just like, it's definitely going to win game of the year. And they were just like, well, just you wait. And I'm just thinking like, yeah, I hope there's another really good video game this year. <laughs> like, oh, sorry. Egg on my face. Another game I really enjoy. Wow. Could you
0: imagine two good games coming out in one year?
1: I could not. I physically what couldn't it. What year is it? 2007? It no year since. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that just about does it for another episode of the Totally Biased Media podcast. If you would like to reach out to us, you have a couple different ways you can do that. First, on Twitter, at TBMcast. Second, on Instagram, at Totally Biased Media. Third, you can send an email to totallybiasedmedia at gmail.com. Like I said earlier in the episode, we really want your suggestions for things we can discuss on the next couple of episodes coming up. We have basically two months with no games, so send in your stuff quick. Uh, we would love to have more to get into, and even if it's not just a, a specific game or anything you want to hear about, if there are certain topics you want us to discuss, if there are certain you know concepts in the gaming world you want to know more about, we're happy to to discuss it further. You you know, I, I know that when there are controversial issues in the world of gaming, you want the perspective of three straight white men to really lay it out for you, so, so we're happy to do that.
0: I think we got a follow-up to a spam email.
1: Oh, that's exciting. What does that even look like?
0: It's really good. It says, Dear old friend, I know you may have forgotten me. I'm very happy to inform you about my success in getting the money transferred under the cooperation of a new partner from Venezuela.
1: Interesting.
0: I don't want to read the whole thing. I just... uh, It seems... It it almost seems... (laughs) I I like the idea of sending follow-ups to your spam emails, asking for money to be like, hey, someone else got me. Don't worry about it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. They know what it takes to be successful in in the spam world. And sometimes it's nagging. You can also find us on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash media. We're trying to stream at least every other week and hopefully more frequently in the future. So, you know, reach out to us. There's a ton of ways you can do it. We'd love to hear from you. We, would, we will engage with you however we reasonably can. But for the Totally Biased Media Podcast, I'm Jordan Walkup.
0: I'm Jason Simmons. Let me redo that. <laughs> I'm Jason Simmons. And you just felt the bias.
1: Thank you, everybody. Goodbye.